Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Robert Kelly plays the Heathens drummer Bam Bam on Dennis Leary's FX series Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, which begins its second season this summer. And he popularized the double meal deal Bang Bang, playing Louis C.K.'s brother Bobby on the award-winning FX series Louis. Robert hilariously chastised me for combining the two things, Bam Bam and Bang Bang. More importantly, though, Bobby caught me up on how he got clean and sober 30 years ago as a teenager living just north of Boston, emerging as a lover of art, women, and comedy. He tells me how he formed an improv group that auditioned and welcomed a young Dane Cook, culminating in their historically, hysterically bad gig at Boston Garden, how Bobby started over again stand-up, and rooming with Bill Burr when he moved to New York City. Robert Kelly only recently found his own true comedy voice and has doubled down on it, not only selling his 2014 stand-up concert film on his own site and terms, but also founding his own podcast network, Riotcast. You know what, dude? Bam, bam, bang, bang. Either way, Robert Kelly is always up for a great chat. So let's get to it. Yeah, you want? Could you make the beginning of this podcast any more uncomfortable? <laughs> Jesus Christ! Didn't know we were foes. <laughs> That's all right. We'll edit it in post. Ah, uh, no, this will definitely be in. <laughs> <laughs> so, Robert, last things first. Um, oh, I, I see that you. It's, it's, I think because it's the other. I got. Yeah. It. Go ahead. I think I know the answer to this question, but um, six and a half inches. Which key? <laughs> Which came first was was uh, your character chicken was your character's <laughs> name on Sex and Drugs and yeah. Rock and Roll, Bam Bam was was did that name come before or after your appearance on Louis the Bam Bam episode? Oh, uh, Bam Bam the character was before Bam Bam the Bang Bang. It's called Bang Bang. Bang Bam Bam Bang Bang. Well, yeah, <clears throat> Bam Bam is my character on Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, and Bang Bang was the actual thing that me and Louis did. That he created, which was you have a you know a, a whole meal somewhere, and then you go directly to another place and have a, another whole meal, bang bang. Yeah, yeah. That so they're neither. It's not even close <laughs> to being similar. So, yeah. Good question. Yeah. See, like I said, I'm, a journalist. I'm, I'm always a little bit late. Jesus Christ, a late. That's just dumb. That's not even late. I mean, that's not even. You said bang bang, and bang, it's not even the same word. One has, it is an extra, there's more letters in one. I mean, the only similarity is that you say the word twice. Yeah. Bang, bang, and bam, bam. Yeah. That's the only sim- similarity. <laughs> but go ahead. What's the, I can't wait for this next question. <laughs> it's going to be jarring. What is it, a half hour, right? It is going to be jarring because, <laughs> yes. because it strikes me, you know, uh, you're on this show. It would be funny if you had information that I was cheating on my <laughs> wife and you just revealed it and it was jarring. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, no, it's it strikes me that, you know, you're on this show on FX yeah. with Dennis Leary. Mm. And when Dennis – Dennis Leary has been around since we were teenagers. He, yeah. And when he f- first became famous – he was on MTV in the late 80s. Is it fair to say you were still a juvenile delinquent at the time? No. Um, or had I'd, you grown out of that? I had grown out. I got sober. I got sober at 15. So, yeah, but, you know, my, my drinking know that, and drugging yeah, was from 10 to 15. But we all know that you you can be sober and still 
be breaking lots of laws. And well, no, I mean, when I got sober, I, I went full into it. Okay. I went to a rehab for a year and two months, uh, and re- and then I went to the same meetings, uh, I think four times a week for five years. I mean, I was addicted to AA. I mean, AA was my thing. And then I found, uh, and then I went to college and found art and, and, and theater and, and acting. And, and then, then comedy was the last thing I found. When you got sober, what did you think the world had in store for you? I thought, I, I remember the night I got out of rehab, I thought I was going to die. I thought, I, I'm not even kidding you. I thought. From the detox? From the withdrawal was, of it? Or? The first night I was coming home and I was living back with my mom. And my stepdad, Larry, and we were in this apartment in Malden, Mass. And I knew that uh, some a guy had told me, go to a meeting far enough away from your house that you can't walk home. And don't get a ride home. Get a ride there, but don't get a ride home. So you'll have to ask somebody for a ride okay. or you're fucked. You know, so that's what I did. But force, I remember, you, force you to connect with Force you with connect strangers. with somebody to get the fuck home. Yeah. So I remember... Driving there, and I was so institutionalized with foster homes and juvie halls and this rehab for the last year and two months, I didn't see anybody, you know. And now here I am in a car with freedom. I was, I did, I, I couldn't see it. The future was, I'm going to die. I couldn't, I could always see or fantasize about what was going to happen in life, but at that point, I had no daydreaming capabilities. I had no visions of right. where I could go because I didn't see myself making it past this fucking car ride. I was so fucking engulfed in fear of like, oh, my God, here I'm going to this meeting and I don't know anybody and I don't have any of the things I used to use to fucking make friends. You know what I mean? And I don't even have my personality anymore. Right. Because that, that was and you're like, still a teenager. I'm fifth. I'm 16. Uh, going on, you know, 16 around, 16 and a half at this point. So, yeah, it was tough. And I remember I went into this meeting in a, in a, in a hospital in the basement and it was a young people's meeting and there was just these, all these kids, teenagers and 20 year olds. Did that put you at ease knowing that? No, because they're dicks. <laughs> I remember the first guy I asked, I'm like, Hey, can I get a ride home? He goes, mm-hmm. no. I was like, I, I still hate that guy to this day. Like, I hope he drank. Mm. And then you're supposed to write that down. What? <laughs> so the uh, I did. I, I'll make amends. I'll do. He'll be on my fourth step. But um, actually, the guy who did say yes was a guy that went to actually chaired a meeting when I was in juvie hall. Okay. This guy had chaired a meeting. He came up. So and you recognize him. I recognize him from that, and I remember he was really cool and the long hair and a ripped shirt, and that was like fucking. You know, Poison and Crew and, you know, Dan Reed, the, all those motherfuckers. And he played, he, you know, he was going, he played the piano and I was like, dude, can I get a ride? He's like, look me at me. He's like, fuck yeah. And he went and played the piano and these girls just surrounded him, all these fucking, you know, drug addict, right. alky girls, like new in recovery, just surrounded him. I was like, oh my God, he's, he's my new fucking friend. And I remember we went out to Bickford's that night. And drank coffee till two in the morning talking program. And did you ask him to be your sponsor? No, never asked him to be my sponsor because, you know, <laughs> he's the guy who taught me how to get. Like I didn't know how to pick up girls anymore. You know, like I remember I, I would meet girls. Like girls would like me, 
But because I, you were a bad boy. Well, I just knew how to be that guy. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to be. You know, I remember I was talking to this girl. She lived next door to me. She was, she liked me and she was hot. And I remember we started talking and I started bringing up like spirituality and, and you know, <laughs> like spiritual awakenings and, yeah. you know, uh, a character defects and, <laughs> and, you know, all AA shit. But I was, you know, 16, 17. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to fucking go. This guy, Mark, taught me, taught me that you could be sober and still, you know, meet meet girls right. and hang out and be cool, like actually have a personality. I mean, but it was a little, you know. Later on, we found out that I, you know, changed one addiction for the other. I just started banging, you know. But my first sponsor was actually a guy named Dick Marcotte, who lived down the street from me. He was a iron worker, mm-hmm. big fucking French Canadian motherfucker. I mean, as big as you can get. Every finger a fucking thumb. I mean, every... I have a joke in my act about it. Because I remember his hands. He'd shake your hand. But he... he man hands. Just, I mean, just fucking man everything. Yeah. And he had a meeting at his house every Monday night. Uh, and it was invite only. all Men only. Step meeting. And it went from seven to whenever. Mm. And you couldn't leave. And I remember there was... It was just such a manly meeting. Mm-hmm. And I remember I went there... I went there every night for five years, and he was my sponsor. The most gentle guy you'd ever meet, though. I mean, I mean, the nicest. He always had. He, anytime I had a problem, he had the right thing to say. Anytime I had an issue, he'd be like, he'd have he tell right. he'd be like, and a very gentle, very soft. And I like this is the type of guy that would come up and, and go, "Come here, give me a hug," and hug you, and you, you'd feel like, "Ah, God damn it!" Dang, and I needed that. He was. He's passed away actually last year, which was sad, but he was a, one of the greatest men I've ever met, you know? Was it working the steps that helped steer you toward the arts or was no. it school or? No, no, no. Not working the steps helped steer me towards the fucking arts. Because you, look, I mean, I you think, find out who you are as a person or well, who you want to be. I don't think, in my case, not working the steps, I kind of slowly stopped. When I got into college and I, I was going for fine arts and mm-hmm. I was slowly how, getting away from AA. And when when that happens, when you're not taking care of yourself, you're mm-hmm. looking for something else to fill that hole. And stand-up, instant gratification filled that yeah. hole in me. No, I mean, so many people talk about their first time doing stand-up and the, immediate, the immediacy of the, the laugh from the crowd is like a drug. Yeah, it was. So a, I've heard that from so many people. It was a fucking drug. Only in the last maybe six years have I tried to do this. Seriously. But let me take a step back because you talked about it was going to college. Yeah. And because you were getting into all this trouble and, and uh, rehab and all that when you were a teenager, how how difficult was it for you to get back into school so you could go to college? Well, <clears throat> well, I went back to school, man. But I went to. Ninth grade, I think I went to two classes a day, Spanish, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know some. I forget what other fucking some other horse shit. It was I don't know. I don't even know what it was. Um, maybe a math class or something. And I then I would go. I was in the rubber rooms. Okay, Mr. Lyons, another great guy in my life. This guy uh, ran the Malden had, High or Malden High. He had a little office, and all the troublemakers you dealt with, Mr. Lyons, and he. You know, Irish dude, fucking, you know, 
Mustache? Mustache. Just, you know, you know, earth tone fucking <laughs> clothes. You and him have the same outfits. You know what I mean? And he, uh, I remember he, he, the first year I would, he got me a job at a styrofoam factory. I would make styrofoam vault balls mm-hmm. for Christmas. I had a, a mentally, uh, handicapped now, retarded guy, mentally retarded guy w- was my boss. Okay. Cause he knew how to make the balls. Yeah. He was making it for years. So it you was. get hurt with the styrofoam. He, 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 we make these yeah. balls. I do two classes. I'd go and then I'd go to the styrofoam factory. The year after that, right? He actually made up credits for me. He brought me in a room. He goes, you're going back. You're smart. You're not an idiot. You just need to, you need a shot. He brought me in a room. He goes, I need to get you credits. Did you take art in? Yup. So he just wrote art credit. He goes, did you do any paragraphs? Did you read? Yeah, I read, and then they would ask you a question in juvie jail, uh-huh. like once a week. He goes, fucking, you know, history. Yeah. And he just made up like five credits for me, got me back into mainstream classes. Wow. So 10th grade, I was back in regular classes. 11th grade, um, back in, I actually, and that's where I got into art. The art teacher, uh, and the, the there was two of them. Mm-hmm. And they took me under their wing, man. And they, they, they were the best. I would hang out in art class all day. And um, I actually graduated and won a scholarship for Bunker Hill Community College. Oh, nice. They gave out a, an art scholarship uh-huh. once a year. And I won it. They, you know, I think they gave it to me, but I was, you know what I mean? I mean, my art was good, but it wasn't the greatest. But I won it. And I, I remember I had to go to an award ceremony and everything. I remember that there was another kid that wanted it. And he didn't get it. And it was actually... It was actually a girl I was dating, her ex-boyfriend, Nacho. Ugh. And I remember uh, I went out with her, and, and he hated me for it. And then she broke up with me because I was a douche. Hmm. But I took his scholarship. scholarship. Yeah. Bunker Hill. Yeah, I went to Bunker Hill for fine art. I remember Is it. Is that I, in Charlestown or just Right just in Charlestown. Okay. Down the street from the Bunker Hill Monument. And back then it was Charlestown. It yeah. was... It was pretty fucked up, you know? It was pretty crazy. So when was your first exposure to live stand-up comedy? Live stand-up comedy, this is a fucking sad story. I remember I got sober, and they have this thing called Ikipa. Yes. Right. That's the Young People's Young thing. People's Conference, International, mm-hmm. was it, uh, International Conference of Young People in a- AA. Okay? <laughs> so stand-up, okay. No, so I'll, I'll let you tell it. Okay, so, your story. so there's, you this is where 100,000... Alcoholics, mm-hmm. young alcoholics, yeah. every year pick a city, okay, and they literally take over the city. Yeah. They rent out all the hotels, and then the main hotel, which was the Park Plaza back then, there's meetings 24 hours a day. And then they do this big, and there's all these events and stuff that you can go to, and you know all this great stuff, and you're hanging out with other young alcoholics and drug addicts, mm-hmm. and you know, you're just hanging out and partying, and, and, you know, but in a clean, sober way. And then they have a, a sobriety countdown, which is nuts, all the way down to one day from a hundred. Or what is it? Like I not a hundred, but like fifty. Right. Like there's a guy in there with fifty years of sobriety, all the way down to the one. Well, and the place goes nuts. It's crazy. Yeah. Very culty, but in a good way. Well, and when I you me- get that many people of anything together. Oh yeah, yeah. But it was. Weird. It's all in a good. You know, it's all these young people that could be out there fucking up people's yeah. lives and, and their own, putting their lives back together. And they're putting it back together, yeah. right? But I remember it was I just got out of rehab. Like mm-hmm. I said, I didn't know how to talk to girls. 
And I was, I was, hang- I just met this kid, Mark Caesar, at that meeting who was mm-hmm. just knew how to, just cool motherfucker. And we went and we got hotels. I didn't get at the main hotel, but I remember there was this girl, blonde girl, beautiful, like hay, right? Her fucking hair was hay. Little freckles over her nose, perfect fucking titties. Where was she from? She was from uh, Andover, I believe, okay. where I got sober. Oh. So when I went to meetings, mm-hmm. we couldn't talk together, right? but I would see her at these meetings, and I fell in love with her. For a year, I would see her at these meetings, and never could I ever talk to her. And once in a while, we would say hi. And you know, there was this chemistry. Mm-hmm. I felt it. And all of a sudden, here I am free, and I see her at Ikipa, and we, she's like, oh my, and we, we talk. And it's like, oh my God. And she's like, okay, you're going to be around later. And I'm like, this, she's sober. She's such a, I've heard her talk at meetings. She's serene. Right. She, she, you know, she wants to meet the right person. Here I am. You know what I mean? I'm so, this is it. I love her. And I remember, we'll see you later. And I met, I, I ran, I got this red balloon. <laughs> and I, and I went and I found her. And I was like, here, this is for you. And she was like, oh my God, thank you so much. It's so sweet. And I was like, I'll, I'll see you later. And I'm like, this is it. We're going to meet up later. I'm going to hang out with her. And we're going to fucking, we're going to fuck. I'm going to make love to her. You got the hotel room. Right? I got a hotel room. She's got a hotel room. So anyways, I I saw her. Mm -hmm. And she was with some kid. And I kind of followed her. And I, I, like, I went up in the hotel thing. and And I kept looking down the hallway. And I didn't see her. So I kept going up floors. All of a sudden, I looked down the hallway. There's my red balloon in front of a door. She had my red balloon in front of her door, and I went in. I just heard her getting fucking hammered. Just this dude was fucking the piss out of her. And I just remember my red balloon in front of the door, yeah. this lonely, sad balloon. I remember walking down the hallway. It was late at night. I had nobody. I had I let my I let a girl use my room. To shower. I went back to the room. She's showering. I go in. She's naked. I'm like, oh, my God. She comes in the room, kisses me on the forehead, and fucking leaves. And then I just remember sitting there just alone, nobody wanting me, sober at Icky Pa with nothing. This is his head story. It was very sad, man. But... <laughs> Yeah, it's like. But the next night, mm-hmm. this is the first time I've ever seen stand-up comedy. The next night, they had a live stand-up comedy show. I ran, ran to the front row. I remember diving over seats because it was, uh, you know, you know, general admission. Mm-hmm. And I sat right in the front row, looking up at these comics. One of the guys was Bob Keen, who I still know today who's still in Boston. Mm-hmm. And the other guy, I don't know who the fuck he is. Mm-hmm. He could be out of the business. I don't know. I don't know how fun, you know, how funny the show was. All I know is I laughed, fake laughed, whatever the fuck I did. It was the most amazing shit I've ever seen. It was so fucking badass. They were so confident. They owned the fucking stage. The second they, and I remember the, at the end, the guy said, thank you for coming out. You guys are great. And I stuck my hand up and he high fived me. And I was like, he touched me. He fucking touched me. Like I felt special. Yeah. And I, and that was it. I, I was like, I fucking, I was, I felt great. I was like, fuck it. I felt great. I remember seeing that girl later. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm out. I'm, I'm going to meet my friends. I'm going to a meet and fuck off. You know, and it gave me, 
I don't know, man. It was the best thing I've ever done in my life. Seeing these people up there just fucking killing it. Killing it. So how long did it take take you from that moment to then figure out how to get on stage yourself? Oh, shit, man. That took a long time. I mean, then I remember, you know, look, I went to snuck into Nick's one night. Mm-hmm. And I saw Don Gavin bring up Steve Sweeney. And I... I I, I was I've never seen anything like it. Like I've never. He bumped into me going on stage, and he was like, "Oh, sorry, kid." And he goes on stage, Steve Sweeney, and I didn't know. You don't know it's him. I don't know who the fuck he is. And then he walked. This guy who just bumped into me, who looks like any other guy in South Boston or yeah. fucking Charlestown, goes on stage and fucking. I never laughed like that. I've never laughed. I've never been in a room like that. Him and Don were on stage together. And I, I, it was erupting, a fucking erupting, and they controlled every second of it, and they it was it was amazing. I remember walking out of there going, "What the fuck?" It was like better than any rock show I've ever been to. It was just, it was fucked up. But even then, I didn't want to do it. I remember. What, what did you think you wanted to do then? A guy, wa- I, I was going to be an art teacher, man. I was going to art school. That was my thing. I, right, at that point, I was in high school, and you know, I mean, I was in college when I saw Sweeney, and mm-hmm. I, I was, I was going to be an art teacher. That was my goal: go to fine arts scholarship and put tra- it to work. Get my, get my degree, mm-hmm. associate degree in fine arts, and then transfer to a, an art school, and then be that fucking weird dude who, you know, wears suspenders and fucking, you know, Doc Martens and listens to Morrissey and. You know, all that shit. And it just, I I remember being in college and we took an acting class and there was an improv class in the class. I mean, we did all these plays and shit, which was awesome. And, and then there was an improv thing and we did this improv and we, me and Aldell Benny and this other two dude, we would just kill it and we would just make everybody laugh in our improv. And we just had that. And this was at the college. Just at Bunker Hill, yeah. And then they had a talent show. So I was, we were like, we should do it. Mm hmm. And we did improv. And what we did is we went to an improv. My friend, uh, uh, he had it uh, called Cheap Socks at Tufts University. It was a prof- you know their professional okay. improv group. Yeah. And I would I would uh, I would actually uh, we all went down there one night and just stole everything they did. We just took everything. We just wrote, took notes, mm-hmm. and they killed it in front of like a hundred people at Tufts. And we went back, took it, wrote skits. These fucked up skits, and we did this talent show and won at Bunker Hill. I mean, there was like 250 people there. I remember the first the first time we got a laugh, we ran backstage and we were just flipping out. We were screaming, "We get to fucking like us, they like." It was just this fucked up thing, and we won. And then after the show, I was like, "I'm doing this for my." I literally said, "I go, I'm doing this." <laughs> I, so we're gonna get other shows. And there was two guys who were like, "Dude, relax." You know, mm-hmm. and I think Dane actually joined us for that show. I was gonna say that Dane was on that. Show I know that you were doing improv with we auditioned with Aldo Dane. Benny and Dane. Aldo Benny, these two other dudes, and fucking the guy who actually started it was I forget his fucking name, Geraldo or some fucking he was Spanish dude mm-hmm. that sucked. He just wasn't funny or talented, but he started. He was like he's the one who said we should do the improv group. Okay, and I just took it over, and. <laughs> I remember we, we auditioned Dane. How did he? Because Al was friends with them. Okay. They were two theater fucking queens. 
You know, they did Grease together. Yeah. One was Kanicki and the other one, fuck, you know what I mean? No, I can picture them with, yeah, with the fuck. greased up hair and the oh, leather fuck jackets. Yeah. They were yeah. the kings of Arlington theater at that time, you know? Sure. Either, you know, yeah. So Al goes, I'm going to bring my friend into the group. Yeah, he's going to, he, uh, well, he said, we're, we were auditioning people mm-hmm. to be in the group and we auditioned Dade. And I remember it was, I was like, yeah, dude, all right, cool. Give us a sec. I <laughs> mean, was, was that playing it cool or you just, no, I was just like, it? I didn't know. I didn't know. He was like, yeah, it was good. Because how long had you been doing improv for at that point? A fucking month. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't now matter. you're in charge. You're auditioning people. But I, I actually. You got something there, kid. I knew I knew Dane. Me and Dane were on the same page from that second. Okay. Because he gave a fuck. And that I knew the two the other three guys, the guy who started it, and the other two guys, they didn't give a fuck. So we did this group together. And this. <laughs> we did the group. And then I remember. I booked a couple more shows together, and mm-hmm. the other guys just weren't. Dane was like, "Fuck it!" It was like almost like competition with him. He wanted to be the funniest fucking guy, and I was like, "I fuck you, I'm funny too." And Al was the same way, so we really pushed each other. Okay. And the other two guys were just stoner the- theater fucking queens, so they're like, "Guys, calm down." And we, I-, I was like, "You know what? They're out of the group. Fuck the other guy, the mm-hmm. one who started it. He's gone. Yeah. He's. I fired all three of them." And I got Alan Dane on my side, and then we got a, a friend of mine, Jay Hall from the East Boston Projects, who's the last, never acted, never did improv. He was just fucking balls out confident. Okay. You know those East Boston, those project dudes. Yeah. They, he just he came in and fucking floored it, and us four killed it for the next two years. I mean, fucking anywhere we went, we leveled the place. Did you change the name of the group? We had Al and the Monkeys. Al and Monkeys. Well, they, we needed a name, and the guy was like, give us a name. And this this lady, this African lady was like, she saw our audition for the talent show. We mm-hmm. had an audition. She's like, you guys are like monkeys. You're monkeys. <laughs> and the guy was like, we need a name. And Al was the only one there. He was like, the Monkeys. And Al was like, make it Al and the Monkeys. Because Al's a fucking, you know, That's fucking devious. That's his yeah. competitive one up. Yeah, he's a devious cunt. And it, it, we just kept it. You know, we just kept it Al and the Monkeys. Now, you guys eventually got to play Boston Garden. It was the worst gig in the world. Yeah, we played Boston Garden. We won a competition. Doing improv. We won a competition. This is what made us great. We had the confidence of fucking Elvis. Mm -hmm. Okay, but it fucked us. And here's how it fucked us. We won a competition that was the biggest amateur competition in the country. Okay. uh, We were the first group to win. We were on. That's got to be controversial. We would just, look, you couldn't fuck with us. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. We just were great. I think we beat Burr. We beat Patrice. I was going to say, yeah. I bet we those guys were around. Paul Nardizzi, like all these guys that were just way better. Just so talented. But they were only we solo fuck, stand-ups. And you yeah, we came in and just fucking floored them. And Mark Parento loved us. Mm-hmm. Like Dane, too, you know. I don't know if you know the Mark Parento story. No. Great guy. You know, <laughs> he got fired. He was fucking picking up little boys with Sony Playstations in a van in D.C., but whatever, I digress. <laughs> Great guy, I love the guy. Different kind of improv skills. Yeah, a little. Yeah, hey, you, want, you like games? Uh, so he uh, he put us on like all. He just put us over. He was the number. WBCN was the motherfuckers back then, and Mark Parento was the fucking man. Okay, this is back when radio was king, yeah. and he had drive time, afternoon, and he would say our name every fucking day. We won that because of him. Wow. Okay? We just, and we killed. We fucking killed. 
As soon as we won that, they were like, you got to do the Rock of Boston show. They didn't know what improv was. Nobody did improv at a comedy club no. with against comics. Nobody did that shit. That improv was in fucking side hipster rooms. Yeah, yeah. You know? And we were like, fuck yeah. I was like, dude, whoa. How big is it? They're like, no, we have small stages. You'll be at one of the small stages. So I was like, okay, cool. Dude, it was the Boston Garden. 14,000 people. They had two stages. A little one and a big one. And we were on the little one. And we, we, our dressing room. Did they room, have you at the beginning of the thing or did they no, have you they in between? No, they had us at the end. In between the spin doctors when they were literally at the top of their game. What's this, like 93? And before 90. fish. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, we, it was the most ridiculous thing that's ever happened. 14,000 people. Our dressing room was the woman's bathroom. It was, we were sharing it with Jeffrey Gaines. Who's unbelievable? Yeah. I mean, everybody was coming in up, dude. It was fucking rock and roll. I mean, like back in the chicks was sh- pissing right there, and we had a fucking thing full of beer. I didn't drink. No, none of us drank. Right. There was just people coming in, drinking, partying in our the woman's dressing room, which I we and that we're just letting ba- you're hearing, dude. Jeffrey Gaines did fucking in your eyes, okay, and by himself acoustic, and tore the place down. The Boston Garden went fucking ballistic. The spin doctors, we, you could hear the place rumble. Yeah. And we're just like, yeah, we're going to go do some fucking skits. Were you guys wearing matching outfits? Yeah, Dane had come up with this idea that we should wear, <laughs> we should all have different colored shirts. Sure. And then at the last minute, he goes, we should all um, crouch down, facing away from the crowd. And when they announce us, we should all jump and spin. If I could go back in my life, I wouldn't take away any of the jail or any of the abuse. I wouldn't take it. I would go back and take away that moment. <laughs> that I, that I, are you guys ready? Al and the monkeys. And we jumped yeah. and spun like a boy band to do an improv like, set. Like you were new kids on the block. Dude, it was so bad. It was so bad. And we started doing it. People didn't know what, they thought we were a band. They didn't know. They were like, what the fuck's going? They were all fucking high. It's two hours into this fucking event. They were waiting for fish, so they were high. Oh, probably. dude. The spin doctor's just good enough. <laughs> you guys ready for some improv? They gave us handheld mics, so we didn't even have, like, we had a whole, so you couldn't even right, do, so you couldn't do physical stuff. Couldn't do physical skit stuff. Couldn't, <laughs> so I remember <laughs> we got, we did a skit, which always killed called Chinese theater, where Dane, <laughs> Oh well, no. And Dane is a bunny. I Dane I don't the one guy yeah, they walked into each other and we did the voices from behind. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got my uh, chocolate and my peanut butter. You got your peanut butter and my chocolate. And it would kill, right? And we had all like a size spurling and we had a thing and we had peanut and then Dane has a bunny outfit and dude, it was fucking dude, so long. It's literally a two second bit. It it's it it's it was like fucking five hours. That's what it felt, felt like. That, yeah. And I looked and there was just a bead of sweat coming down Jay Hall's eyebrow and his right eyebrow was quivering in fear. And I and I just I don't know. If I, he's got fear then Dude, I grabbed the mic and I took my shirt off. And I was like, Listen, people 'cause I I went to concerts. Yeah. I was like, We know you came here to rock and roll. Yeah. 
You love, you came here to see the spin dog. You came here to see fish. We love you, Boston. Rock and fuck and roll. But give us four things to piss you off besides us. They just started throwing shit. They just started throwing how, how long? fucking everything, dude. Started just humming. I mean, lighters. It was just fucking nuts. How much shit was being thrown was fucking ridiculous. I could have made money if I collected all the stuff. Mm -hmm. There was probably some valuable heirlooms and stuff. And then, I remember they started, ya na na na, hey. But there was still the front row that was going, no, keep going. We love it. Right, because they we could hear it. you and see Dude, you. And fucking Billy Burr was there in the audience. Okay? My uncle was there. They saw it. Do you know what I mean? Ugh, what the did worst. they say to you afterwards? Dude, I didn't, we didn't talk to anybody for weeks. Did we, you do another we, show? No, we didn't do shit, dude. I think <laughs> it was so bad. I mean, everybody heard about it. Because if we had killed that, mm -hmm. we would have been the biggest thing in Boston comedy, right, right. at the time. We would have, but we, that's when <laughs> it really, had you, the flame on Alan the Monkeys was put, snuffed the fuck out. Had you done stand up before that? Well, we all, at that point, we were all doing stand up. We were doing like 10 minutes each. So we'd go in, instead of having an MC and a middler, we would just go in and fucking do, you know, 10, 30 minutes in front of us. Okay. We'd all do like right. 30 or 40 minutes. So, and then so like Jay would have like six minutes and I'd have 10, Dane would have 10, I would have 10 and, you know, we'd do that and then we'd do an hour or 45 minutes of improv and sketches that we wrote. You know, and we had some good sketches, man. We did some funny shit for back then. Um, and, and we rehearsed four nights a week for three hours a night for, for almost over a year. I mean, we put a, we didn't fuck around, dude. We put hours into it. And we killed with this group that we had. Um, it was just, you know, we started doing stand-up. I, I got into acting. I got an acting gig in a movie. Dane started to get, his stand-up started to, like, Barry Katz had seen him. Yeah. He booked a Sprite commercial. Um, so he started getting gigs, and he started taking his, his fucking rockets, started fueling up. I went and did off-Broadway uh, Boston, uh, the BCA. I did a thing with Peter Kelly, uh, Four Dogs and a Bone. and So I, t I left for like a year and a half. I came back. Shit, Dane was about to go to New York. Um, you know, Patrice and Billy were fucking kind of running things. And I was like, shit. Like, my, I, had a, like I was the new guy again. Mm. It was weird. It was really weird. Because I was always a couple years behind those guys at that point because I of you know doing that acting shit. I just I just stopped doing stand up. So how long did it take you to make stand up the full time thing? I took you, me uh, well where you didn't have Dane to have a went side to hustle. yeah Dane went to L A. Then Billy went to uh, New York. Patrice went to New York, and then it probably took a couple a few years, a couple years, and then that's when I. I moved to New York. The day I moved to New York, I haven't had a day job since. What was that last day job? I had five, uh, four. I uh, delivered flowers. I worked with uh, mentally retarded people. I worked with juvenile delinquents, and I waited tables. But when you moved to New York, no day job? I didn't have anything. I had $1,000 to my name. Billy Burr let me live in his place because he had a pilot. He had a TV show he was on, a series okay. with Molly Ringwall, but he kept his place. So... I paid three twenty five for this fucking garbage shithole on ninety seventh and Lex. Cockroaches and fucking I didn't give a fuck. 
I didn't give a fuck. I had a key. You know, that's what comics say. What do you What do you need when you come? A key. That's all you need. You need a roof over your fucking head, and then just go to clubs. There's no fucking. You do this. You do that. Just go and hang the fuck out at the club you want to be part of. I hung out at the Boston Comedy Club. That was my club. I wanted to be a part of that club. So I hung out there every fucking day until someone didn't show up. And then I got on stage and fucking annihilated, you know? So that, that, that's what I never had a day job, day job since. And yet you told me earlier just now that it wasn't until six years ago that you feel like you really started trying. <sighs> well, yeah, because, you know, you, you go so long. I mean, I did, not everybody, but me. I, mm-hmm. you know, the, when you can just be funny, I can, you know, and then all of a sudden you realize, you know, you, what the fuck am I saying? What am I, you know, what am I doing? I'm not trying to get laid anymore. I'm not trying to get friends. I'm not yeah. trying to, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a family. I have a house. I, this is my job. So it's like, you know. Right. You I, had a girlfriend I, who's now your wife. Yeah, my chick's my you, wife. I have, a, have a, a three-year-old son. And, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, or, around six years ago, I started going, oh, shit. Because you'd look at Norton or Burr or, you know, Patrice, and you look at these guys, Colin and DePaulo and Louie, and you're like, oh, my God, these fucking, they just keep getting better and better and better, better and better and better. And you and felt it's you- like, I felt like, oh, shit, I'm just, I'm just fucking, I'm just the same. Coasting or? Well, it was just, I was just being funny and, f- but not knowing, you know, not saying anything. You know, I, I feel like you could be, you should be able to take any topic and put it in your thing is when you're a comedian. I think that when you can, something can happen to you and then you can go to the club and do it without fear or without anything and it's your thing. You know what I mean? Like you can just go up in front of a, a crowd, a new crowd, a big crowd, a small, Whatever, and just oh, this happened today. I want to try it. I want to. I want to see if it works. I want to fucking just see if it works. And I don't care if it doesn't. You know, when I stopped giving a fuck about killing, is when I feel like I started becoming a fucking comic. You know what I mean? So it was more about uh, having a singular voice that is you than it was about necessarily having a, a five-year plan, career plan. Look, man, I, I don't. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I I just want to I want to go on stage and fucking like what I'm doing or saying or have freedom to, you know. Like the other day my kid saw my pecker. You know, I was out of the shower and you know, he was like, you know, he's like what's that? And I'm like that's that's called uh that's called shaft skin. And it, that's, that's what you went with. It's like well, it was like that inside is where my penis is mm-hmm. because I'm fat. <laughs> that's the actual skin mm-hmm. that is the shaft of my penis, which is inside of my body right now. You know? <laughs> and I would have never done that on stage. Right. I would have just thought it or whatever. But now it's like fuck it. I'm going up and doing it. And a couple people laughed. But I, you know, and, and they got it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, I'm fucking doing it. And there you go. So it's like I talk about shit that in my life now really means something. I'm not trying to get pussy. I don't give a fuck if you like me. I don't care if, you know, I'm not trying to make you laugh. I'm trying to, these things that I say, it's what I want to talk about. 
Now we're sitting in the Riotcast studios where yeah. you have your own podcast. Yes, sir. How much has that kind of fueled that that newfound confidence of of just talking about what you want to talk about? I, I think podcasting definitely you know helps with that. You know, but th- I mean this Riotcast network. It's been more in my eyes for other comics than it's been for me. Okay. I don't make a lot of money off of this. I don't, I'm barely making shit. Everything I make goes back into it. And I'm, I try to have new people on. I try to expose other comics. And then the shows that I put on the network with me and my partner Rob are guys that, you know, should have shows that don't. Voss and Bonnie, you know, the comedy seller, live at the table, Kevin Brennan, Nick DiPaolo. It's like these guys were, you know, hanging around. You know, so it's like, let's get the, let's, whatever we can do to help them out. Giving get, them a voice. Give them a show, a show and give them, you know, because I think podcasting is the best social media for a comic because it shows you your true worth because if they have to download it, that's your fan. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you have to, you have to do something. You don't have to be my fan to be Twitter and follow me, but to listen to my podcast, you're a fucking fan. So you better come see my show and you better watch my TV show and you better support me. Because you actually did the work. You listened to two hours of my shit. The people that listen to this fucking god-awful podcast, they're your fans. You can So who, how many downloads you get? Mm-hmm. You have that many people that like you and like your thing. So you can count on that. You I could either I, look at that and be really depressed or really grateful. Well, you should. I don't care if it's fucking 300 people. You should be happy. Right. Yeah, because you're a fucking douchebag from Boston just like me. <laughs> who the fuck should be listening to us? <laughs> So doing doing all this Riotcast stuff, yep. did that give you the confidence to sell your most recent special on your site and through VHX instead of doing no. instead of looking for a no. deal? That was because the people we were hooked up with, God bless them, we just didn't have the same vision. And it was just like I begged Jim Serpico, please mm-hmm. can we please just do this on our own? And in the eleventh hour he was like he took a chance. I was like, all right, I think I – he figured out a way financially to do it so that we could do it. And then, thank God, Comedy Central, after we we filmed it our way. Right. He had, he saw my vision. He knew what, how to make it happen because he's a director and he does film. And Bobcat and the people he hooked up with, the lighting guy, the design guy, everybody, the editor, they knew what the fuck they were doing. He put this team together and he did what he does – and he put the money up, and then, you know, Comedy Central love him. They fucking loved it. They bought it and put it on. God bless them. And Netflix, God fucking bless them. You know, the two of the greatest places to have your special. Both were cool with it. You know what I mean? So, but it was only after you. After, after yeah, we you were able to put it out yourself. It could have never. It could have never gone anywhere. Yeah, right. but it, thank God it did. So, you know, that's the best thing ever to fucking do it your way, and it pays off. So there's nothing better in this business than doing that. Do you think you could have done it that that way five years ago? I couldn't have done a special five years ago. I don't think anybody wanted me to do a special five years ago. Oh. And, I, and and technically, we couldn't have, technology-wise. No. That's what I mean, yeah. So yeah, everything, no, absolutely not. No way. Now you can. But five years ago, you couldn't have, no. So is it fair to say that this is, this is now a life beyond your wildest dreams? Oh, f- uh, dude, I was walking up my driveway. In my, you know, three-bedroom contemporary ranch in Westchester, you know, looking at my vegetable garden and my fire pit and my, you know, my car, my two cars. It's like, dude, I, it's, I'm, the, you know, my my kid, 
my my chick. It's it, there's no there's no it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And then of course now the show, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. You know, I mean, just the lead in. You know, doing Louis for Louis C.K. Fucking just helping me out and let me be part of that fucking amazing show and teaching me so much and kind of being like an older brother brother to me in a lot of ways. Not just on the show. But nah, dude, life. he's fucking helped me out so much in life with just advice. And then, you know, Leary, he wrote this part for me, which I didn't know. I thought I was going to have a do, but he wrote it for me. And, you know, just to be a part of, you know, the the stuff that he's done. I mean, Rescue Me was the greatest, one of the greatest shows on TV. You know, and now we're doing this show, and it's it's fucking... The cast is awesome. You know, John Corbett and Elaine Hendricks and Elizabeth Gillies and John Ailes and, and, and Dennis Leary and Jim Serpico and Tom Saletti. And, I mean, the whole fucking thing is a dream come true, dude. It's insane because it's fun to go to work. We bust balls. We tell each other to fuck off. It's awesome. It's the... It's, I couldn't ask for a better And you get to learn scenario. how to play the drums. And I, I... Yeah, I'm two years into fucking playing. I played today, dude. I loved it. I'm fucking playing drums, dude. It's stupid. How does your drumming compare to Billy Burr's? I, he, I'll never ever. He's a fucking. He's John Bottom, and I'm some fucking cunt in a garage in California. I'm a 12 year old douche who just got his sticks. You're yeah. Bam Bam. Stop it. <laughs> who bang bangs? <laughs> You're Bam Bam who bang bangs. There you go. <laughs> so I always ask my uh, guests this. So if um, if a 15 year old comes up to you. Yeah. And is all bright-eyed and yeah. full of wonder yeah. and asks you for advice. What's yeah. the first thing you tell them? No, I got no advice. <laughs> Seriously. You can't give somebody advice, you know, because it's, especially at that stage, it's like just, you want to be a stand-up comic? Yeah. Go become a stand-up comic. Just get on stage. Whatever you have to do to get on stage, get on stage and keep getting on stage. You know, I can give you advice later in your career about managers or when you're making right. it. When you, you, you gotta find out if you, if you, if you hold water, man. If you, if you, if you're meant to be here. And the only thing that does that is by getting on stage and going through the pain and the fucked upness and do you got what it takes to go to the open mics and make friends and fucking bomb, 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 suck and then do good and then suck again and, you know, and, and then go on the road and get no money and fucking sit there and bring people up and, have to remember names and credits and fuck shit up and get yelled at and, you know, and then middle and fucking, can you get out of that sweet middle? You have to go through all that shit. The, oh, there's no advice to that. Just go fucking do it. You know, just yeah. go do it. Write jokes, get on stage. That's all you have to do if you want to be a stand-up comedian. On on the flip side of that, uh, you mentioned, you know, getting help and advice from Louie and Dennis yeah. and other people. What's What's been the, the most kind of lasting thing that's kind of sat with you of all the stuff they've told you well colin quinn told me great advice he goes you know you, you know you're a great comic when you can walk off stage and not feel guilty it was one of the greatest things ever said to me louis told me one time that um you know i was like so you write you get up and write and he goes yeah it's your job i was like oh yeah it is. it's my job it's not just about showing up and doing time at night you, know, you gotta spend you know, you get you have a job to do during the day too, and that's organize what the fuck you're doing. You know, and yeah, what a, you yeah, what you want to do. It's an occupation. It's an occupation. So, spend more time at it than you you know than the 15 minutes or the hour you do at night. And then, uh, and then Leary taught me about you know, 
being on a TV show. It's like, you know, don't be a line counter. You know, be present in every fucking scene, even if you're not saying nothing. You know? Fucking, you know, be there. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've learned a lot from those three guys have fucking helped me. And, of course, Dane, too. You know, I can't. And Billy and Patrice, those three guys. You know, just looking at those guys and their trajectories and, you know, I, I know, you know, it's just, it's, you know, you watch yeah. it, you're like, wow, it's fucking yeah, epic. I remember, I remember seeing you and Gullman in the visitor's locker room of the Boston Garden yeah. when Dane was taping his HBO yeah. special there, which is yeah. a far cry from Alan the Monkeys. Yeah, far, far cry, yeah, absolutely. So I've seen so many great things, so I'm, I'm fucking happy about that. Well, Robert, thanks for being present with me and keeping me honest. Always keeping me honest. All the fucking time. Including, you creep, including tonight. You creepy motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Robert. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave. Logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.